is Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bang! Oh! will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Troy. guys welcome to dime dropper before we get started please make sure to subscribe on all platforms youtube dime dropper podcast and then twitter instagram and facebook at dime dropper pod and of course to subscribe on apple apple Podcasts and follow us on spotify so for today's episode we have a little bit of an unconventional one a little different we're going to be talking a little football after the rams recently made a big trade trading away jared goff for matt stafford i have a resident diehard i'll put it to the level of me as a clipper fan uh, for the Lions, and that is my good friend from college, from college, Chase Wagner. Chase, welcome. First appearance on Dime Dropper, long time coming. How are we today? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I, I appreciate the invite. I, like you said, I've been trying to get on since episode one, so I'm just, I'm just happy to be here, man. And, you know, uh, as a long-suffering Detroit Lions fan, I'm ready to have my heart broken next season. And, you know, it was off to a good start by trading Stafford. So what was your reaction when you first uh, heard of the trade news? Matt Stafford's been in Detroit for a while now. Um, you can give us more background on that. But how did you feel when you first heard the news? Yeah, you know, when I first heard the news, because it was, it was a late trade in the uh, – pretty late in the afternoon. I want to say it came in like 11 Central time here. Um, I'll be honest, man. I was crushed. You know, Stafford's been at the helm since 2009. He had that iconic game where he was mic'd up against Cleveland, throwing out his shoulder you know, on that game-winning touchdown pass. And, you know, when you put your body on the line for a team, the city embraces you. And, you know, we embraced Stafford. He was he was great. He had that season with all those, like, eight fourth-quarter comebacks. So, you know, it was like, it was like lo- losing a second father almost, as weird as that kind of sounds. Um, and then as I started to look into the trade a little bit more, I was, I was just kind of shocked that we actually ended up getting that haul. I mean, when you look at it, Stafford's getting paid a heavy price. We managed to secure two firsts, a third, and a young quarterback who was previously the first overall pick. So at the end of the day, while it sucks to lose Stafford, we kind of, in the Detroit fan base, we knew this was coming, especially with the new hire. We want Stafford to go out and win. And, uh, you know, it gives us the chance to start over, whether that's with golf or a quarterback here in the first round. Um, So, you know, to answer your question simply, crush at first, but now I'm actually feeling pretty optimistic about it. Yeah, I think that you – I mean, the three picks, I was pretty surprised by that. I was a little disappointed we gave up that much because it was – we took we traded a bunch of picks to get golf in the first place. But right. what did you think of – so when, when you guys – so the Lions, when was the last time you guys made the playoffs? Oh, God. All right, so I think that would have been – I think we did in like 20 – I want to say like 2014, but the season that I remember vividly is like the 2011 season with Jim Schwartz, where we had uh, Nick Fairley and Indomitian Sue on that D line. And, you know, we were fighting everyone and um, getting called for, you know, all these penalties left and right. That was a fun season. You know, that was the season I think where Stafford had that, um, I think he had 40 something touchdowns that season, just insane, but it's, it's been a while you know, to answer it simply. Do you think it was more 
other other parts of the team that held Stafford back from taking you guys places, or was did Stafford ever do things? Because I'm I'm not as familiar with him uh, in terms of his game. I mean, I've I've watched him play a couple of times, but obviously don't know him nearly as well as you, or know him like I know Goff. So, what sure. should Rams fans expect getting Stafford as opposed to uh, Jared Goff? Yeah. So, first and foremost, Stafford's going to put up some good numbers for you, and McVay, you know, he's he's got he's kind of this quarterback whisper now we don't really know what's happened with golf the last two years and i'll touch on that later but you know stafford is very very solid you know he's going to get the yards he's going to get the touchdowns he's going to put his you know his team on the, his back sometimes you know he's going to come back late but there's a couple things that you need to worry about for stafford um stafford's not and this has come out the last couple days and this is something that I think kind of resonates um and this isn't a you know a huge knock on Stafford but Stafford isn't this outspoken quarterback that you want when you watch an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady they're getting after their linemen they're getting after their receivers if they run the wrong route or if they drop a pass you know they hold them accountable these last couple years especially under Matt, Matt Patricia who I think really just sucked the life out of Stafford he just – he didn't have any life on the field. It's like he didn't care. He wasn't holding guys accountable. He wasn't vocal. He would just sulk off the field. And especially this past season when we were mounting uh, second-half comebacks, like clockwork, every couple of games, Stafford would throw an interception, usually in the third quarter, that would go for a pick six. And when you're mounting a comeback like that and you're, you know, past the 50-yard line and your quarterback just throws that pick six – you know, my dad and I, we call it a game-changing play because it's that one play that turns the whole tide of the game. And he had a lot of those this year. So, you know, while you're getting a very solid quarterback, you're getting someone who's kind of been beat down. And, you know, he – I don't know if he needs a little bit of a confidence boost, but, you know, I think a new scenery and I think better weapons are really going to help him out, honestly. So I would, if I were you guys, I'd be very happy about what you're getting. That was that was pretty good information. All I was saying about Goff is, I thought that I thought Rams fans personally gave him too hard of a time a little bit. But the main thing with Goff is when he was pressured or he was you know forced out of the pocket or things like that. There were so many times where he'd be sacked or he'd throw interceptions. He had so many turnovers this season. So basically, if you get Goff scrambling, he's not like a Josh Allen or Russell Wilson that will extend plays. But that's basically it. Other than that, he's in the pocket. He makes some good throws. And I don't think he's as bad as everybody says. I mean, at the end of the day, people want to credit McVay for all the success. But you still need somebody out there throwing the ball. And Goff helped us get to the Super Bowl. So, right. you know, I still think that he can be good going forward for you guys. But from what I've heard and from what you've been saying, it seems like Stafford is an upgrade. So, I am pretty happy about that. It was time to move on eventually. Yeah. Now don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of potential with golf. So obviously what worries me is golf's last two years, his numbers have been going down and that's, that's weird to see, especially after that 28 touchdown season. I think that was like three years ago. Um, but golf, I'm hoping that golf is like your Alex Smith coming over from San Francisco where you can maybe turn him into a game manager puts up those solid numbers and he just does what you need to do. Believe it or not, we actually have a pretty decent O-line. We've got Taylor Decker at left tackle who we've, uh, who we had re-signed last year. We've got Frank Ragnow, who I think PFF graded as like the number two center. Um, you know, we've got that Eagles guy who we signed last year. He was injured most of the year. 
Um, and we, one of our rookies, the rookie from Ohio State that we drafted at guard last year, he did a phenomenal job. So we've got a pretty good O-line that can keep him up on his feet. Um, and I thought it was kind of telling when he came over that he said he's happy to be with a team that wants him. You know, a guy like that, when he doesn't feel like he's got the team behind him, that can shake his nerves. And when he doesn't think he has the, the coach in his corner or the team in his corner, you know, that's going to be – that attitude is going to be reflected in their play. Um, and I think you could kind of see that with, with Goff. So, like Stafford, I think a change of scenery is great. You know, we get a 26-year-old, like I said, if he doesn't work out, no big deal. He's a, he's a gap between possibly drafting a quarterback in the first round. And if he does work out, then, you know, not only did we have a, a new franchise quarterback, but we got a couple first-rounders with it. Yeah. I'd say um, last season, one thing you mentioned, the O-line, that's big time that you guys have, you have a solid one because when we had injuries to our O-line last year, whether it be the center, Austin Blythe or Rob Havenstein. And then this year we had Andrew Whitworth miss a couple of games. That's when Goff is really vulnerable. When he's got an O-line, he can make plays. Like he can make plays like most quarterbacks, but yeah, that's it. When they, when they get to him, that's when it can get, that, that's when it can get, uh, that's when it can get wild. But overall, just explain to me. So, you know, as you said, it's been a while since you guys have made the playoffs. There's always the, I see the Sunday Facebook post. There's a very ro- roller coaster ride. So tell me about your Lions fandom, when it started, how you became such a big fan, and what it's like supporting a team like that. Because obviously I can relate, and not, not many people can. I mean, we, we went to school in Massachusetts during the height of a dynasty. So right. they couldn't re- relate to, you know, tragedies in sports the same way maybe their parents or grandparents could, or we could. So, yeah, just yeah. background as a Lions fan. Yeah, absolutely. So, I was, I was technically born in, uh, in Maryland, and so growing up, you know, just running by the TV when I was playing on Sundays, I do remember seeing a lot of uh, the Redskins, and I don't know if we're allowed to say Redskins anymore. You can say uh, it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but uh, so we ended up, like, moving to Michigan. Um, still didn't really watch football too much, but – my dad was from Michigan, and every Sunday he'd kind of plant himself on the couch, watch the Lions get the crap beat out of them. Um, and I remember for one of my birthdays, my parents bought me Madden 06 for the computer, uh, the one with Donovan McNabb on it. Funny enough, and, my bad to interrupt you. I was going to say, funny enough, my first NBA game was NBA Live 06 with Dwayne Wade on the cover. On a computer. Here. Yeah. And yeah, and, you know, those games I'd never had – you know, like games like that. And I ended up getting the Madden 06 for Xbox 360, which was my first console. And so I just started playing and I started familiarizing myself with these, with these players on, on all teams. And then I started taking a greater liking in football. Then I started joining my dad on the couch and, you know, our local team was the lions. He kind of, my dad took me under his wing, you know, you kind of have that state pride, you rep your guys. So the Lions became my team, um, unfortunately. And, you know, from there throughout, you know, that would have been uh, middle school, throughout all of high school. And, um, you know, we'd sit down every Sunday, watch those games together. Even in college, I'd watch every Sunday, typically by myself. We'd call each other up afterwards to discuss the game. And um, that's kind of where the fandoms come from. And then just rooting for a team like the Lions has just – you know, I, it's just, it's miserable. And 
there was a point where I used to get really angry after the games because we would get screwed by the refs all the time, or we would blow a large lead. And at this point, it's, it's more just a laughing stock. Like when we blow a lead, I, I can't help but laugh because I say to myself, that's so lions. And, you know, growing up and hearing about the lions in a time where we had, you know, that piston squad from Oh four. And when we had, you know, Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera taking us, you know, winning Cy Youngs and MVPs and taking us to uh, to the World Series where we had the Red Wings making the playoffs like 25 years in a row. You know, we had three stud teams and then we've got the Lions. And uh, I, I think it, it just kind of goes probably goes back to like the Ford family, the ownership. It probably starts from there. You know, there's a curse of Bobby Lane, a quarterback who got traded and said that the Lions, you know, would never, would never win without him. And, um, but it's fun. It's fun because, you know, when we do make that Super Bowl and there's a good chance I'll be dead when that happens, um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be sweet. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be one of the first guys to fly up to Detroit, be in the streets and be drunk as all hell. Dude, I was going to say the, the way you were talking about how it became a real pain and then it became a laughing stock. God, I can relate so much. I can relate so much. Like last year when we were up 3-1, I don't, that was my worst sports defeat ever when we were up 3-1 in 2015 to the Houston Rockets. And I was really, really like depressed after. And then we were, when I saw it happening again, like the same exact thing where we just had a lid on the basket, I started just laughing. I was like, dude, we're just the clip. Everybody wanted to tell me, oh, things are going to be different this year because we have Kawhi Leonard. We're still the same old Clippers and are going to choke in the second round. So going into this year, I really don't know. The, the, the whack part about the Clippers is, like, I don't know if you can say this about the Lions. These guys keep giving me insane levels of optimism because they keep improving every year only to just lose at the same spot. So this year, this I, I've gone on record and said this is the best team in Clipper history. So if they don't make it past that second round, yeah, I don't know what to say at that point. But I yeah, agree. I, mean, I, I think about it frequently about – you know, I just want to win a championship before I die, man. Like, just other fans do not think like that. And I think it really makes a difference because if we do – actually, I'm not going to say if. When one day we do see our teams win it all, that's a feeling that no fan that has seen their team win multiple times could ever imagine. Because we actually, as crazy as this sounds, and people might think it's silly, we actually fear – I mean, I, I, think, I think I'll be okay now with the Clippers with the new ownership. But at one point, I really feared dying on my death. I'd be like, man, I made a mistake. Like, my team never won. Like, what was I thinking? Yeah. I Look, I, I understand. And I remember growing up watching those Clippers teams, too. You know, the Elton Brands, the Corey Maggettis, Catino yep, Mobley. Yeah, you know, that was a squad. And, like, I think you made a great point. We're kind of in that same boat. And, you know, you almost expect your team to fail you. Um, you do. I do, honestly. Yeah, and it's it's sad, and you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth in that, you know, we take – I take my sports personally. When my team loses, it's like they went out there and stabbed me in the back personally. Same. And it ruins my Sunday. You know, I get I get a little pissy about it. You know, I have to have my girlfriend kind of console me a, a bit. And um, it's like, you know, I put so much into these guys. Like, I feel like they're like family. How could they do this to me? You, um, you make a good point. I totally, I totally relate because see, here's my, here's my question to you actually, before I continue this, I was going to ask, when did that start for you? Was it instantaneous that you felt that emotional connection? Because here's the thing you can watch a different, uh, even if you, even if you put money on the game and stuff, I don't know. I don't really bet that much. I don't know if you could clarify, 
on this one, but you know, you bet on a team, you root for them. But when you lose, it's like, ah, I lost some money. That kind of sucks. But when your team loses or wins, like your heart feels like this joy, like your whole mood brightens up. And then when you lose, it's like, oh my God, like every single little thing. Like, for example, if my mom like gets mad at me when the Clippers haven't played today, that's fine. She gets mad at me when the Clippers have lost and she gets mad at me. I'm like, oh my God, like shut up. Like I can't, I can't handle this. But when did that start for you? Right. Um, so it became an emotional attachment. I think, a, I think the first season I really cared about, I think, was like Joey Harrington's last season. Um, God-awful quarterback from Oregon. Um, and that was just a bad team. But I really tuned in when we got, um, when we got John Kitna at the helm, the backup quarterback for the Bengals, because Kitna came in and was – he was going like 20 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, like 4,000 yards, you know, he wasn't too bad. And that's when it became personal for me. Um, you know, just because I knew those players so well after I'd bought, after my parents had bought me Madden 06, it was 07, 08, 09. And you just kept moving up. And, you know, I, it used to be fun at first to start the dynasties with the fun teams. And then it became more of a challenge. Well, let's see if I can get the Lions to win. So then when playing with the Lions, I know their players, you know, and then I start, I'm following the rosters and I'm thinking like, why isn't this guy starting? Like he was a beast for me in Madden. And, uh, you know, that's when, that's when there was like that light bulb, like that connection between my team and like the, the emotions behind it and, and, uh, you know, following them so closely like that. So one thing you mentioned about how, they feel like they're your guys. When they lose, it feels like you lose. I remember last year when, when the Clippers lost and my, my, my Instagram feed, the stories from all my Laker fan friends flooded ridiculing our logo and this and that. And it's funny because it says LAC on it. Like I'm not Eddie and have no affiliation to the team, but for whatever reason, all those memes, like seeing people like shit on our logo or stuff like that. You know, I feel like they're insulting me in that screenshot. Like, it might as well be me there because I took it so hard, so personally, even though I'm literally left to emphasize, like, we're not the ones playing. We're just the ones supporting the team. But it's so – when you are when you care as much as us, it's like it really feels like you're losing just because – and we don't even talk shit. Like, I don't even say – I mean, we talk shit, but, like, I don't, I don't, I don't say that, oh, well, Clippers are going to win the championship, and you don't say, oh – well, you say it as a joke, and people know you're joking. Right. Because it's like, you know, you don't actually believe that. So what I was going to say was, do you think there's a connection because it's our home guys as well? Like you said, you're, they're, they're representing, those are our guys. Do you think that there's a connection between, a stronger connection between fans of the, the local team? Or do you think that it's, it can happen with, regardless of what team you support? I think it can happen regardless of what team you support, but I think it's stronger if it's your local team and I'll kind of, I'll kind of give you an example. So obviously I live and die by all things Detroit. I, you know, I might've grown up in Maryland and lived there the first couple of years of my life, but Michigan made me. Um, and so Michigan is who I identify with, but you know, I've been to several sporting games. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, my boss and I, we went to Jets, our Ravens, Jets, Thursday night football, Lamar Jackson broke the rushing record. And it was fun to watch football, but it didn't, it didn't mean as much to me. And it, even watching the Super Bowl, 
I'll probably be on my phone a little bit. It won't mean as much to me because I, I just don't have that connection to those players. Even when I went, I went to a college football game a couple of years ago at West Virginia, it didn't mean that much to me because it was, it wasn't the Michigan Wolverines and it, you know, it wasn't a team that they would play or anything that would matter to them. So if it, if it doesn't directly impact my guys, it doesn't mean as much. And I just, you know, I'm sure there's some psychological thing to back up my argument, some study, but uh, I think it just means more if you identify those guys as like your people, you know, I, obviously there's a lot of bandwagon fans for the Lakers or back in the day, the Warriors. And, you know, those guys just bounce around. So, you know, there's not this allegiance and this loyalty that like you and I have, like ours is like deep rooted, you know, you can't, you can't just pull that apart. I, we're one in the same. Yeah. I mean, the, my uncle used to tell me this all the time about supporting local teams. He was like, okay, you better support an LA team because what's going to happen is let's say you support a team from somewhere else. If they win the championship, nobody here is going to care. Like nobody here is going to care. If the Lakers or the Clippers win, there's going to be parades that you can take a part in. Not to mention you don't have to go to some illegal stream or uh, pay a certain amount of like, you know, on the NFL Sunday ticket or league pass to watch your team. You can watch your local teams on the local channel because they represent you and you can go watch their games at the stadium because they represent, they're right here. So there's that level of, it's a different connection, you know, with fans that, that are fans of fans from different cities. And if you don't have a team in your city or your state, that's totally fine. You have no choice. Right. But right. I don't really blame I don't, I'm not saying you can't be a diehard even if your team's not in your city, but as you said, there's a different level of, you know, you are a citizen of your city and that team represents you. So if I was to go to UMass and not be a Rams fan, being a fan of somewhere else, that wouldn't have made any of the banter in the Super Bowl fun. Like I'm from LA, you would have been looking at you like, how are you not supporting your own home team? So I love that I'm a all, all my local teams. And I'm blessed to be a fan of LA sports teams. I, it could be a lot worse. You know what I mean? I got the Dodgers who, even though I'm a Clipper fan, the dot and it didn't have a football team for the first 18 years of my life. You know, even though I passed up the opportunity to support the best basketball franchise ever, the Dodgers are still a historic franchise. And that alone is, is something to be appreciative of. And I are, I always know that I'm lucky to be in a market like this because the players are always going to want to come here. I mean, you saw how quickly the, the Rams changed from being the St. Louis Rams to the LA Rams, like success-wise even. Right. You know, how quickly that took. So, yeah, I think that there's really a connection. I really respect you for supporting your local team. And I respected the people in Massachusetts for doing the same, even though in their generation, it wasn't too hard of a choice. Man, it was, yeah, that's an easy, that's an easy uh, team to follow. But it's, it's great. I love going to different cities and seeing the loyalty to their teams. I just think that's what makes sports beautiful is that they represent a, a community and that communal sense. When I went to England, it was even stronger. Like they are they're like, like imagine you and me, but we're not rarities over there. There's like a ton of us over there. Oh that's yeah. Cool. Oh yeah. I did. I did one of my study abroads in London. I, I actually did some sport work over there and you're right, especially with those football clubs Yeah. and they go nuts. The scarves, everything is, it's insane. So you um, had some experience working with the Charlotte Hornets organization a little bit Um, and the Redskins, I believe too. Yep. So tell me about a couple of things. One, how it was working uh, inside those as a sports fan, but also, you know, for people, I guess like myself or people that I saw you make a post on LinkedIn about people struggling to find, you know, jobs in today's day. I'm still, you know, removed from college with the diploma and everything, no job. What advice would you have for those people as well? 
Um, yeah. Just, yeah. So I'll kind of start, um, I'll kind of give where, how I managed to find the jobs and then, you know, what people can do. And then I'll kind of talk about the teams that I work for. So um, I got my first gig. I did a study abroad in London. I knew I always wanted to do a study abroad in this program at UMass. You could do a study abroad and work 20 hours a week and they would give you a placement. Um, They'd give you a internship placement with a company that uh, kind of fit your major. So I went to London and I worked for this company called Let Me Play. And in London, they have quite a few breaks, uh, pretty long breaks as well. And on these breaks, these schools, local schools, they, they need to hold camps for the kids, academic camps, sport camps, theater camps, whatever. So what my company did is when schools didn't have the facilities or the individuals to host these camps, they would outsource it to my company and my company would hire, um, you know, we'd hire someone who might've played a pretty high level of soccer and we'd bring them in as the soccer coach or, you know, we'd bring in up someone who might've played overseas in basketball and we'd bring them in as a basketball court uh, coach. And it could be for a few weeks at a time. It could be a few months, but basically we put on these camps. And uh, after that, I, I came back. Um, I do this fantasy baseball league with my dad that he's been doing for 30 plus years. And a guy in our league was, my dad had mentioned that I was still looking for a job. A guy in my league mentioned that he, did work or he used to work with this guy uh, with the Orioles who now was with a double A baseball team, Pensacola Blue Wahoos, who at the time were with the Cincinnati Reds. And his friend was pretty high up with the Blue Wahoos. So we reached out, made the connection. And I'd say within like two weeks, they hired me on as a group sales intern. So went down there, you know, did a, did a fun little uh, internship working double A baseball and came back did one semester of school. And then I realized, you know, and a lot of kids don't take advantage of this. NFL teams need a hire for that second semester, that spring semester, you know, when they're not in season and they need to get ready for the season. That is the perfect time to get in with the team because not only can you usually stay on for spring and summer, you know, they'll just carry you over, but there's not a lot of competition because everyone wants to stay in school. So I figured I'll leave school, you know, for one semester, no big deal. I'll come back. I'll still graduate, you know, essentially on time and I'll just work for the Redskins. And it just so happened that the guy who was hiring for the Redskins, um, that he was going over to London the next week to watch the Redskins play. I had just come back from London, you know, less than a year ago. Um, I had seen an NFL game over there. Coincidentally, the Lions were playing over there. So when we talked, uh, we, you know, I just sent out an email. You could either send your resume over or you could email him. Always email, get in contact with someone on a personal level. So I emailed him. We had an exploratory phone call. I mentioned, hey, make sure to go here, grab a drink from this pub, do this, do that. Well, he ended up taking my advice. And when he came back, he actually called me up thanked me for the advice because it worked out well. He had a good experience and he was like, how would you like to come work for the Redskins? So did that for about eight months, spring through summer. And then finally, um, you know, I was set to graduate. UMass was holding a career fair 
they were bringing in a lot of teams from the East Coast. And a gal that I had worked with with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos was working for the Charlotte Hornets at the time. She let her boss know about me and the boss at the time, he was actually expecting me. So I just went up, we made some friendly conversation, ended up setting up some interviews with the Hornets, the Mets, the Knicks, um, the Wizards. And they were the first team to come back to me with an offer. And so I took that and, you know, uh, something that, something that's interesting about sports and I'm sure you see it a lot anywhere is that your connections, sports is kind of all about connections. Um, you know, you will have hundreds of kids apply for internships. You will have hundreds of people apply for sales job, but you need to do anything you can to stick out, whether that's, you know, uh, try to guess their personal email address. I used to do that quite frequently and just shoot out emails. Um, I would print my resume instead of on just plain white paper. I would buy heavy duty cardstock and I would place it on that. So that way, if my resume was in a pile, you know, it stood out because it was, it was so thick and they, you know, what's, what's this thick resume. I would create little business cards that way they had something to stick in their wallet or something to stick in their pocket that they could, you know, pull out and see later. Um, and so, you know, those were, those were some strategies, you know, to get into the biz. And, and now if you're looking to get back into the biz, something that you can do, um, because like I said, there's usually hundreds of people applying, go down to your local university when they're doing a career fair and talk to that college and see if you can join in on the career fair. Usually they're, they're pretty fine with that. You know, it's, it's about, it's about filling these positions. It's about engagement. Um, you know, so just find someone who's in charge, email them, let them know, Hey, I'm 25, 26. I'm looking for a job. I see you have, you know, these teams coming into town and just make a little, make a little noise down there. You know, those people are trying to fill positions, be conversational with them, you know, just go up to them, introduce yourself, shake their hand, ask them what they're hiring for, ask them what day to day looks like. Um, and then, you know, the third part that I'm going to touch on, I feel like I'm rambling a little, but uh, so obviously I worked with the Redskins first. That was my first big professional sport job. And that was pretty fun. Um, you know, I worked uh, in the suites department. So we, you know, I did a lot of research for our sales guys. So I would, we needed to deal with the very high end clientele in the DC area. Um, because they were the individuals that could afford our packages. So I would do research on the companies, on the individuals. I'd try to find talking points. I'd try to find salaries. I'd try to find their email addresses, anything that could give us a competitive advantage, um, you know, to sell to them. I never did any selling myself. We left that up to the experienced professionals. But, you know, you got to work fun events as well. We got to host um, training camp events. You know, I got to hold like the player's equipment while they signed stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, you got to see guys walking around and just make small talk with them. Like I was obsessed with Vernon Davis. I still love him. Great tight end. I used to see him around and I'd fanboy pretty hard. I'm, I'm pretty sure he thinks I'm a weirdo. But, uh, you know, it, it was cool uh, seeing Kirk Cousins around, Jay Gruden. I saw Jay Gruden in the kitchen and we had a small little chat. Um, you know, nice – Nice guy. So, you know, you're walking around, you're wearing their apparel that they give you. 
Um, you know, you're not getting paid, unfortunately. That's the case with most of these internships, but just a lot of fun, especially as a college kid. Um, and then last stop was the Hornets. And, you know, that was, that was great as well um, in the sense that I was, again, working for a professional team, and it's cool to tell people that my boss was Michael Jordan. Um, but, you know, Darian, I'm going to be a bit blunt here. That was not a fun job. We were doing cold calling. Um, so Charlotte, Charlotte's a tough market. It's a football market. You know, you got, you got your Panthers there, just right a couple blocks down the road. And Hornets haven't been good for a while, haven't really been good in their entire history. Um, so you're selling, and it's a transplant city, which means a lot of people who live in Charlotte weren't born in Charlotte. You know, they're moving in because Charlotte's a huge financial city. It's got a lot of uh, headquarters for banks. So you're selling tickets to people who don't view the Hornets as their number one team and who don't view basketball professional basketball that is as something that's super enticing. So we were making like, we were working eight to five, five thirty ish. We were making a hundred plus cold calls every day, just phone up and down, up and down, getting rejected 99, a hundred times a day, setting appointments. I'd say at least over 50% of the time people weren't showing up to appointments. Um, you know, our team was bad. Um, we had to stand a lot. You know, we stood on the, the second concourse trying to sell season ticket packages to people. So in that regard, I never actually got to watch the games, too. Um, you know, we're working all home games, which means I'm working Saturdays, Sundays. When you're working, you're working like an 8 to 9 p.m. shift. Um, you know, I was getting paid $20,000 a year, uh, half pay for overtime. Um, you know, when you average that out, I was basically making less than minimum wage to do a job that was honestly god awful. Um, inside sales is really tough, and there's only so much rejection someone can take, and there's only so much crap that you can put up with from clients. And, you know, you'd be on these guys for months and months and months, and they're stringing you along for a couple seats only worth, you know, less than a thousand dollars. And after months and months of emails, phone calls, texts, they'll out of the blue, they'll just either one ghost you or they'll say, you know what, I ended up like deciding that I don't want these seats. And uh, it's, it honestly was a brutal, brutal industry. It really is. And well, yeah. I'm happy you got out of it then. Yeah. You know, me, in a sense, me too. Now, I would, at some point, I would like to get in at a higher level. Um, you know, I feel like I kind of paid my dues and you know, this isn't to chase anyone off of the sports industry because it can certainly have its moments. You know, it, it can be a lot of fun. There's some great perks. You can do some traveling with the team. Um, but if you're starting really low on that totem pole, that's there to wash you out. You know, there's only a finite number of positions in sports because there's only a finite number of professional sports teams. So it, it's a very competitive, you're sitting next to people making sales calls and you want to you know, you want to be happy for them when they make a massive $20,000 sale, but you're also pissed at them because that 20,000 sales now jumps them ahead of your number, your sales number. And now when management is looking to promote someone, who are they going to promote? You know, the guy with 
more sales dollars or the guy with less sales dollars. So it's, it's really cutthroat and uh, it's an experience. That's for sure. Wow. So before we, um, before we close out, I wanted to ask to ask you a little bit about the Pistons and how you grew up from seeing them as this powerhouse team that was always in the Eastern Conference finals, always competing. And then now, you know, my boy, Blake Griffin, and our boy, Blake Griffin got sent over there. I remember us talking about it when it happened. And I really like Tobias Harris. That was a, uh, oh no. Yeah, I really like Tobias Harris. That's who we got for Blake Griffin. Yeah. And we shipped him off. But um, yeah, it's been tough for Blake in Detroit, man. It's been really tough. It's been tough to see him injured after that first season. So how, do you, how has it been being a Pistons fan over the, see the rise and fall? Man, I remember after they won their championship, it was all things Detroit. Like, to me, that's one of the most badass squads to ever take the floor. And for those who don't know, you had Ben Wallace, you know, uh, arguably about a six-foot-seven center who could hold his own against Shaq. You had Rasheed Wallace, Tayshawn Prince. You had Rip Hamilton, and you had Chauncey Billups. Five guys who weren't superstars in their own right, but when put together, they were the epitome of team basketball. Um, and great defense. And I remember going to the basketball camps and, you know, you try to emulate, I was a little, I was a little tall compared to some of the people. So you try to emulate your game after Ben Wallace, if you're swatting shots, or if you know, you're a little lengthy, you're, you know, maybe a Tayshawn, if you like to run, you're a little bit of a rip. So, you know, man, I used to have dreams where I was playing for the Pistons and I was with like Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace and just feeding them the rock and I remember my dad woke me up. This was the first time uh, that I felt like really true pain over the Pistons. I remember my dad waking me up to tell me that Ben Wallace had signed with Chicago. And, um, you know, Chauncey was always my number one, but Ben Wallace was just something special. And to lose him to our rivals like that, just, it absolutely gutted me. And uh, we did pretty well. I think we put McDyce in uh, to take his spot. Rashid at the five, McDyce at the four. I think that's when you did Weber, too, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, we ended up getting Weber, but Weber came a few years later, and this is where okay. the team went downhill. When I think you we, was in Philadelphia at the time, Chris Weber, maybe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because I, I remember he was cut, and then we ended up signing him as a free agent at some point. I want to say it was like 08, 09. Yeah, maybe in 08, honestly. 07, but, um, you guys beat when, Chicago. It's funny, you guys beat Chicago in the playoffs that year before losing to LeBron in that famous series that everybody still talks oh, about a lot. So dumb. I Don't even get me started on that. Every time he came down the lane, it was a foul. Ah, there we go. Wait, keep, keep talking about this. This is good for the LeBron fans out there. I don't remember. Every, don't get me wrong. LeBron's the best to ever played, and I'll, that's a different discussion for, you know, I'm going to be a recurring guest. I'm just going to throw that out here now. But, uh, you know, every time he came down the lane, I felt like he was getting every single call and there was nothing we could do, you know, putting prints on him, having uh, Rashid standing in the in the lane like that. But that was kind of the beginning of the end. I think after that season, we ended up shipping off Chauncey for Allen Iverson, who when Allen Iverson came in, I was freaking out. You know, it's Allen Iverson, but Iverson was not he didn't follow that Pistons way. And then we started drafting. Uh, just really trash, trash players and uh, guys who would just be two years and gone. And we ended up getting rid of Dumars, our GM, uh, you know, Piston Bad Boy. Oh, yeah. And it's just been downhill from there. And we've been spending our money poorly. You know, we had the signings of Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon. Um, you know, we we had a few good seasons from like Brandon Jennings. 
Um, Killian Hayes hasn't looked too good this year, and he's injured. It's just I really don't know where we're going. At least this new GM is starting to trade some of our talent and, uh, you know, gather picks like Presti and OKC. So at least we have something to look forward to a couple of years from now. What do you think of Blake? What's your thoughts on him? Blake's tough. Uh, I think he's got, correct me if I'm wrong, he's got at least this year, and then I think he has a player option for next season or something. Yeah. And his player option is like $40 million and you'd have to be insane not to pick that up. Yeah. Um, but nobody's going to take Blake Griffin. We can't trade him. Nobody wants that contract. He's lost all leaping ability. He shoots too much. He's yep. inefficient. You know, I had to drop the guy in fantasy because I couldn't take having a 40-point game and then having a, a seven-point game. Um, but, you know, he's just – he is a shell of his former self, and you see that a lot in these guys who are big leapers, big dumper dunkers. Uh, look at DeAndre Jordan, too. You know, same – he was right there with Blake Griffin in their primes together, and that man is a shell of himself. So – it was inevitable. It was a fun, like, one season when he was really great. But, you know, what are you going to do? Can't, we're stuck with him at least for the next, like, year and a half. Yeah, I was pretty – I was really sad when that happened. Blake Griffin really changed, like, my life as a sports fan in terms of – at least for the Clippers. He really changed my happiness on a day-to-day level. But it was very clear that with Blake as our best player, we weren't really going anywhere. I do feel bad, though, the way that our organization sent him out the door – you know, giving them that contract, giving them the world, and then kind of leaving the Pistons stuck with it. But it's just yeah, that- to see how he's declined. Like, these injuries have been so hard on him because after that 2019, yeah, he hasn't looked the same. And it's sad for me because it's crazy to look back and think that when we had young Blake Griffin on the Clippers, like, that was prime Blake Griffin. That's what in 15, 20 years we're going to be talking about when it comes to his career. And it was so young. You know, he never really got to – you know, he's a great number one pick. He's not a bust by any means, but he definitely didn't fully fulfill his potential, as sad as that is, and really breaks my heart. But, yeah, man, I hope the Pistons return to some sort of, you know, decent level of play soon. What do you think about – how's the new stadium, by the way? You know, I haven't been there yet. Um, and from what I heard, uh, it was completed, you know, before COVID started – it wasn't filling out at all. Um, I've only ever been to one Pistons game in person, and that was – The Palace? The Palace of Auburn Hills. Not only just an iconic name and an iconic location, but, man, the Palace was wild. And I remember they were playing – it was that, you know, that OG Pistons squad. They beat the, beat the crap out of the Bobcats. And uh, I remember how wild it was, even against a team like the Bobcats. And I – you know – you got the Red Wings and the Pistons who play at Little Caesars. And, um, you know, I just – not only do we not have good squads, but because we don't have good squads, we just aren't attracting those insane crowds again. So even when we were having games and they'd pan, man, the stadium was probably at like 50% capacity. It's bad. And it's a new stadium, which is really sad to think about. You know, a brand-new stadium that looks really cool and it's struggling to fill. I was going to say about the Palace, what do you think of um, – I don't know how much you know about him. What do you think of the Pistons uh, stadium announcer, that Mason, that's super hyped up the Detroit basketball. Like he was someone as a kid that I thought was so entertaining and hilarious. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mason, I know exactly who you're talking about because he had uh, – you know, he did the big Ben. You know, he – 
he did Sheed, Palace Prince. Yeah. Uh, man, Mason's Mason's best in the was best in the game, you know, and uh, especially when we had those five OG guys, and he was just I think he ended up making like all those names. He just made it yeah. his own. Yeah. And uh, man, Mason's Mason's great, and you know. Uh, I don't watch too many Pistons games nowadays. I don't even know if Mason's still with the team. If he, I'm is. Being honest. he is. He is? All right. All right. Well, you know what? That's good to hear. I'm a little embarrassed I didn't know that. But, uh, nah, not a big deal. You know, it'll just – it'll never be the same like those guys. And it's like 16 years later, and I'm still holding on to those memories. But, you know, hopefully, like you said, we'll, we'll get – we'll have a little sense of relevancy here. Uh, you know, uh, Grant, the pickup from the Nuggets – has looked fantastic um and i thought we just signed him to ship off and hell we still might do that but um you know we've got him a couple of these young guys we got sadiq bay and isaiah stewart two other rookies i like isaiah stewart actually he works really hard yeah stewart's been doing well he's a nice slim defender um and hopefully killian hayes pans out well i mean i don't have anything else you got anything this was a really good talk actually really enjoyed it you know, do diehard fans talking about their teams. Uh, I'm excited for everybody else to see it just because I love having really passionate fans of their teams on here. We've had a couple already. So to add you to the, to the character list is, is awesome. Bless. I appreciate it. And I guess last question, you know, with Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, who do you have winning? Who do you want to win? Uh, I think I'm pretty neutral on who I want to win. I don't really care too much. I mean, I've never seen a team go back to back. The last time was Brady in the early Prairie's Pats in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. So that'd be kind of cool to see that. But at the same time, I've never seen the Bucks win because that was a little – I was a little young for that. So it would be kind of cool. It would be – we'd have to hear a lot from the uh, the Brady crowd if they did oh, win. God. But I think the Chiefs are going to win, honestly. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. But I think the Chiefs are going to win. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I have the Chiefs winning, but I do kind of want to see Brady win. You know, he's a Wolverine. I got to cheer for my Wolverines. So, you know, and he's the GOAT. Yeah. But anyway, Chase, thanks so much for joining us, man. It was a pleasure. Always a pleasure, man. Like I said, you better keep me as a recurring guest.